We're so glad you could join us today. If you have your Bible, be turning them to Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. That will be the passage we'll be reading and studying in just a moment. Uh, We're in this message series called Long Story Short, and we're looking at principles and themes regarding discipleship from Mark's gospel. And so in that very first week, we looked at the disciples' message. And Jesus' very first words are, the kingdom of God has come near. And then the next week, we looked at the disciples' mission. Right after Jesus proclaimed the gospel, he calls Peter and Andrew and then James and John to come and follow him. And he said, I will make you fishers of men. He poured his life into these disciples and then he sent them out and they in turn gathered up a few people that they would pour their lives into and send them out as well. And then we also talked about disciplines of of a disciple. We saw how that Jesus trusted his father, he modeled that for us. And he spent time in prayer. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, very early in the morning, Jesus gets up and he spends time with his Father. And then in that next week, we looked at a disciple's relationships. We looked at that amazing passage of Scripture. Jesus was preaching and the Lord's family came to to get him. And and Jesus asked that question. They said, "Your, your mother and your brothers and sisters are here. And Jesus said, well, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? And then he looked at them and said, I'll tell you, whoever does my will is my mother and my brother and my sisters. Both Jesus both broadened and deepened this idea of, our, of, of the church and our relationships with one another. Church isn't just where we come and kind of gather casually. No, we're brothers and sisters. We are family. And today, we're going to look at a disciple's greatness. Now, at one time, Dick Rowe was one of the most famous talent scouts in the history of the music industry. He signed groups like uh, the Moody Blues and the Rolling Stones and individuals like um, Cat Stevens and Tom Jones. But he probably would like for you to, to not remember the day in 1962 when this quartet came into his office And he was thoroughly unimpressed with them. He didn't sign them to a record deal. In fact, he purportedly said, and and he would deny this later, but he purportedly said, groups with guitars are on their way out. Within one year of Rowe's initial rejection, that quartet, the Beatles, began the historic British invasion with their first number one hit, Uh, that they performed, I want to hold your hand. And many of you who are listening to me today would say, when you were growing up, they were influential in your life. They were a band that you listened to. Now, although I'm way too young to remember the Beatles, (laughs) uh, by just about anyone's standards, we would say that they were a great band. Sometimes you you just know greatness when you witness it. Uh, Several years back, my wife and I had the opportunity to travel to Italy on our 10-year wedding anniversary. And uh, we took a trip uh, to St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. We saw a lot of beautiful, wonderful things. And we saw this sculpture. In fact, I took this picture. This is a piece that Michelangelo did called the Piate. 
and and it is a picture uh, it's a sculpture rather of mary holding her son jesus after he had been uh, crucified uh, michelangelo uh, sculpted this in the late 1400s and the beauty and the detail on this sculpture just amazing i mean when you look at mary's flowing robe and understand that that's marble michelangelo was brilliant and as Janet and I stood in front of that, that beautiful piece of art, we both knew that we were, we were witnessing greatness. Not only is this piece great, but Michelangelo was, by anyone's standards, one of the greatest artists and sculptors of all time. There's a sense in which all of us want to be great. We want to be the very best. If you're a teacher, you want to be the best teacher you can be. Now, as an aside, I, I want to say I'm just so impressed with our teachers. Uh, you have been called on to do some tough things over these last few months uh, as you are uh, working with kids, a lot of times virtually. And, and I'm just so proud of the wonderful work you're doing. If, if you're a coach, you want to be the greatest coach you can possibly be. I remember when I was a, a kid growing up in middle school, I had this vision. I wanted to be a great baseball player. In fact, I could just imagine myself catching for the St. Louis Cardinals, and, well, I just barely missed it. All kidding aside, whatever you've chosen to do with your life, you want to be the very best, and quite honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. We all have, in this, have this God-given innate desire to thrive and to succeed and to be the best. Now, Jesus, in just a moment, is going to help us understand what is the key to greatness. Now, that's a bold statement, isn't it? What is the key to greatness? And what Jesus is going to teach us can help our marriages thrive. What he's going to, to show and model for us in just a moment as we work through this passage of Scripture we're going to see it can help us to become a, a, a church that's impacting our community in amazing ways. And certainly, what we're going to learn is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to verse 32. The story begins this way. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Jesus was an amazing leader. He's the greatest leader who ever walked the face of the planet. But as we will see, his leadership style is much different than what we see uh, today. And so, as we look at Jesus and we look behind Jesus, there we see his disciples. And Mark tells us that they were both amazed and afraid. Now, we don't know exactly why they were responding this way. We're only left to conjecture. But we do know that Jesus does not allay their fears. In fact, now for the third time in Mark's gospel, Jesus is going to tell the disciples that he's going to, up to Jerusalem, that he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. He's going to be condemned to death and handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked and spit on and flogged and killed. And then three days later, he's going to rise. So imagine this. Right after Jesus gives this news to his disciples, a couple of the disciples pull Jesus aside for a little private convo. And so James and John, the Zebedee brothers, 
they pull Jesus aside and they, they make this bold request of the Lord. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We read that passage and think, really? Talk about a blank check. Do for us, Lord, whatever we ask. They're like little kids saying, hey, mom, just say yes, just say yes. And so Jesus, as he often does, he responds to their question with a question. Now, remember, Jesus has just told them he's going up to Jerusalem. He's going to be mocked and spit on and killed. He's going to die and be raised. And so think about the audacity of the, these brothers. Think about their, their poor sense of timing. I'm amazed at their lack of compassion. But Jesus honors their request. And he says, so what do you want me to do for you? Now, interestingly, he's going to ask that same question next week uh, as blind Bartimaeus comes to Jesus. That's the same question that he asks. But he asks his disciples this question. And, and here's how they respond. They say, we want one of us to sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They did not realize that when Jesus begins to reign from the cross, the people on his right and left would be common, ordinary criminals. But the Zebedee brothers are not asking for the place of honor, that is the honor of being crucified with Jesus no, they're, they're asking to have their own kingdom. They're asking to be put in a place of power and authority so they can impose their will on others. They want glory and prestige. That's what these two brothers are asking for. And so Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Frankly, I'm amazed at the grace and the patience of Jesus. He doesn't look at these two brothers and say, I can't believe it. I've been with you these several years. You've followed along and you still are so dense you still don't understand you still don't get it that's not what jesus says no jesus jesus makes this statement he asks them can you drink the cup i drink or be baptized with a baptism i'm baptized with now when jesus talks about the cup it's an image of suffering you know not Long after this interaction with these two brothers, Jesus is going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to be praying. And this is an intense moment. And, and sweat, like drops of blood, will, will beat up on Jesus' forehead. And Jesus is going to say, Father, let this cup pass from me. What is he saying? He's saying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will will be done he understood this cup was the cup of suffering it meant going to the cross can, he, so jesus asked the disciples can you drink from the cup and then he asked can you be baptized with a baptism i'm baptized with jesus is going to experience a baptism that is he's going to be plunged into the icy waters of suffering and death and the disciples respond to jesus by confidently saying we can. They don't know what they're saying, but Jesus then does look at them and says, yes, you, you will drink the cup that I drink from, and, and you will be baptized with my baptism, because he understood that these two brothers would, in fact, experience suffering 
and even death. But then the Lord says, but to give uh, someone to sit on my right and my left, I don't have the authority to give that. That's for God alone. Now, when the other ten disciples, when they hear about this, Mark tells us they were indignant. That is, they were offended. They thought, this is not right. And we wonder, why did they respond this way? Some say, well, maybe they responded this way because they were offended at the immaturity of the other two. How could they say this to Jesus? Don't, don't you know Jesus has told us three times he's going to the cross? He's going to give his life for the sins of the world? Or maybe, maybe they're offended because, because they think, you know, they had no right to ask this. No, they're offended because they didn't ask this first because James and John got ahead of them. They're offended because they were beaten to the punch. They were jealous. You see, they would rather bear a grudge than bear a cross. If the truth be told, they wanted the seats of honor just as much as James and John. And so this presents a wonderful teaching moment for our Lord. He calls the disciples together, and he says to them, I want you to take a look at the Gentiles. I want you to look at their leadership style. I want you to look at the rulers. Here's how they lead. They exercise authority over people. Then he looks at them and he says, not so with you. That's not how I want you to lead. In contrast to these Gentile leaders, here's what Jesus says. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You see, the disciples had taken these Gentile leaders as their model, and they should have taken Jesus as their model. And so in this verse, Jesus defines greatness for us. It's living as a servant. Greatness is not about power and domination and, and control. No, that's the world. No, Jesus says the, the way to greatness is the way of self giving service and so let's think about this principle for a moment let's apply this to our marriage if you want a great marriage then start by serving your spouse all too often we go into marriage thinking what can i get out of this relationship instead of what can i give to this relationship i think the lord would have us ask the question how can i serve my wife how can I serve my husband? What does, what does she need? What does he need? You begin with those questions. The foundation for a great marriage is as we learn to serve one another, as we think about how we can give to the relationship, not just what we get or receive. You know, I want to be part of a great church. And a great church is a serving church. And it grows out of this principle, and it's modeled on the life of Jesus. Now, I love our impulse at College Hills, which is constantly to ask, how can we serve our community? And so because of that, we do things like we're doing right now. We're having this diaper drive to help our young mothers or, uh, and, and to help our, that ministry that's reaching into the community. Or, or um, I could talk about our food pantry every 
Uh, Monday morning from 9 to 11, we have volunteers up at the church building. We have people who are driving by, and we're handing out food. But even more than that, we're, we're praying with people and praying for people and having spiritual conversations with folks. I could talk about the work going on at the Hearn House, or I could talk about the Brooks House, or I could talk about our Magi boxes, how that we're, we're right now putting together these boxes that we're going to be sent to, to third world countries where little kids are going to get these boxes filled with all sorts of wonderful things during Christmas that's going to absolutely bless their life. And we do all of that in the name of Jesus. A great church is a serving church. And honestly, I've never been a part of a church that sought to serve the community more than College Hills. If we want to be a great church, at the heart of that greatness is the fact that we're following Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He served and he blessed others. And at the heart of being a disciple is understanding that I am a servant. It's not that we're to do a little serving, do some serving here, do some serving there, um, you know, do a little serving whenever I wish. No, I'm to understand my identity is that I am a servant. I know we would rather be a CEO for Jesus, but my real identity is I'm a servant of Jesus. Now, Richard Foster has helped me to understand that there is a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. And this is significant, I think. The difference is when I'm a servant of Jesus, or when I'm, a, when I'm a, a servant of Jesus, I'm not concerned about, and I'm, I'm not interested in recognition or power or, or status, but when I just choose to serve, understand that I still am in control. But when I'm a servant of Jesus, I relinquish control. And so when I follow Jesus, I come to understand that the path to greatness it's not self-promotion. Understand the path to greatness is self-sacrifice. And so here's the really important question. How do I live as a servant when I don't want to be a servant? If we're honest, and this is church, so I guess we really should be honest, the drive for power and glory lives deep in our hearts even, have you noticed this? Even when we do good things for God, we want recognition for it. We want everybody to know that we're great servants. But how do we get free of that? It's not by, by trying harder. It's not by acting nicer, by just doing better or doing more. No, we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and look at Jesus and when we look at to Jesus, we, we come to understand how he has served us. Now, there's a little verse at the very end of this paragraph that for the longest I think I overlooked. It's a verse that speaks with, of so much truth, and yet I didn't really see the important connection with the rest of this paragraph. But in this verse, I come to understand how Jesus has served me and how he served all of us, really. In verse 45, it says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He served all of us by going to a cross. 
we've said over and over in this message series that that three times in Mark, in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples and he tells us that I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm, I'm going to be, uh, go to a cross and, and, and all the rest. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised. He says that three times. But this is the only verse in Mark's gospel where Jesus tells us why he has come uh, to die on the cross. He gives his life, according to this verse, as a ransom for many. To pay a ransom means he, he came to release us, to deliver us, to set us free. Think about that ransom language, what it says about us. It says that we are hostages. We're held hostage. And Jesus says, I'm coming to pay the price for your freedom. On the cross, Jesus sets us free from the power and penalty of sin. Through Jesus, we're set free. We're set free from ourselves. And now we're set free to serve. Now, here's the truth about me. And I don't know about you, but this is the truth about me. I can be so petty. And I can be so small. I can be critical and judgmental. I can be puffed up and filled with pride. My words from time to time can be so harsh and critical and vindictive. I can be vain. But if I'm going to be a servant, it's going to mean two things. It's going to mean, first of all, I'm going to focus on Jesus' life. Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve I think this was a principle that was so important that we don't learn it just in one passage of Scripture, but at least three times. Earlier in Mark's Gospel, Jesus tells us that he was a servant. We're to be servants. Here in Mark chapter 10, and then the night before Jesus went to the cross, he's with the disciples in the upper room. This is one of the most well-known moments in the life and ministry of Jesus. And for some reason, on that night, there was no servant. There was nobody there to wash their feet. You know, in the ancient world, you would wear open-toed shoes, and so you would walk many miles. Your feet would be dirty and sweating. And then when they would have a meal, they would, they would sit low to the ground, kind of reclining around a table, and someone's feet would be literally near your face. And so the custom of that day, whenever you came into that home, there would be someone there waiting with a wash basin. And they would wash your feet before you went into that meal. Nobody, no one had done that. And everybody's sitting around the table. And then amazingly, Jesus, God come in the flesh. He gets up from that meal. And he takes off his outer garment. And there's all kinds of imagery there because Jesus, Jesus would, would lay aside his divine prerogatives when he came into this world. Not his divinity. He he retained that. He was divine and he was human, but he, he laid aside some prerogatives and he wrapped himself in our humanity. He, he put that outer towel around his waist, that servant towel, and then Jesus got on his, hand, uh, on his knees and went from disciple to disciple, even Judas went from disciple to disciple to disciple, washing their feet. But that wasn't just one moment in the life of Jesus. That's how he lived his life. And so if we want to understand greatness, if we want to understand what God is calling us to do and to be as disciples, it's that. We're to focus on Jesus' life. He didn't come. Of all people, he could, should be served, but he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. 
And then the second thing is we need to focus on Jesus' death. He gave his life as a ransom for me. When I look at the cross, I'm reminded that I'm set free. He paid my ransom. Now I'm free to be a servant of Jesus. So many times we're, we're so hung up on ourselves, so worried about perception, so worried about do I get the best seat? How do others perceive me? When I look at the cross, I'm set free from all of that. I don't have to worry about that. Some years ago, someone said that the main problem in the church is we have people following a crucified Savior who have a totally uncrucified ego. But when we release our fragile egos into God's hands, it's then that we're totally free and we can begin to serve like Jesus. You see, Jesus does with this as he does most things. He, he turns things upside down. You see, we want to be great. Well, he turns that upside down. Jesus says, Here, here's how you become great in the kingdom of God. It's as you serve others. It's when you forget about yourself and you follow in Jesus' footsteps. And self-giving service, it's, it's, it's the kind of greatness that's recognized by God. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that everybody can be great because anybody can serve. And here's what he said. He said, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. I love that last phrase. A heart full of grace. When we look at the cross, we see how much God loved us, and we see God's wonderful grace lavished on us as a result of Christ's gift. And we see love on the cross, and, 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 and our souls are filled up with love. So, so, so where do we start? Maybe we could start by asking ourselves some questions. Where do you see a need? What's stirring deep inside you? What burns within you? What is it that makes you weep? What is it that makes you say to yourself, why doesn't someone do something about this? And then you ask God, Lord, what can I do about this? And you listen and start right where you are. And the good news is you can make a difference. God will bring people into your life you can serve. There are ministries at our church where you could get involved and serve. And friends, we're making a difference for eternity. Now, if you'd like to have conversations about anything that we've said today, I would love to continue that conversation with you. You can just uh, email me at koen at collegehills.org or give me a phone call at the church. We'd love to continue this conversation. But understand that the Lord is calling all of us to be servants. If we want to understand greatness, Jesus has told us what it, what it looks like. We've seen it in Jesus, and he teaches us what it means to be really great. And it comes as we serve others. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week.